Hello, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So Lucas, today we are continuing our creeds and confessions. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, you'll know that we are no longer doing uh, Christians of History on Friday. For for now, it's going to be on pause, and we're going through various church creeds and confessions. Uh, Way back at the beginning of this podcast, I believe it's episode three, we covered the Apostles' Creed. Uh, The last three weeks, we've been covering the Nicene Creed with the Father, Son, and Spirit. And this week, we are rounding out these ecumenical creeds with the Athanasian Creed. Um, And because this is a much longer creed, um, there's going to be a little bit of reading that we're going to have to do. So Lucas is going to read through a a big chunk. And then next week, we will finish the second big chunk. Um, And we thought, like, it made more sense to just break it in two instead of, like, six because a lot of it's pretty repetitive. It's describing um, the Trinity and then... You know, a lot of it is just sort of repeating the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are these th- these things. Um, and so for the sake of time and for your interest, we thought we'd just break it in two. So without any further ado, Lucas is going to read for us the first section of this creed. All righty. Here we go. Buckle up. <laughs> Whosoever will be saved, before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. Which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Ghost uncreate. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and the Holy Ghost eternal. And yet, they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, and the Holy Ghost almighty. And yet, they are not three almighties, but one almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Ghost is God. And yet, they are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord, the Son Lord, and the Holy Ghost Lord. And yet, not three lords, but one Lord. For like as we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be both God and Lord, so are we forbidden by the Catholic religion to say there be three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The the Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after other, none is greater or less than another, but the whole persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. 
So that in all things, as is aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He, therefore, that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity. Oh, man. It's a lot of, lot of language in there. A lot of language. I also forgot that this translation, which I'm reading out of the 2019 Book of Common Prayer, is a little has a little more traditional language than the Nicene Creed that we read. So, right. you know, it's, it's a little more, uh, I don't know, it, so- it sounds nice just to read to read out loud. It, it sounds very pleasing, but it's a little harder to follow. So hopefully it's a little it wasn't. more archaic, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a lot. You know, even as we said at the beginning, it's it's kind of a little repetitious in the sense that there, there's not a ton of, you know, different topics being covered, but there is a lot being said. And it being in a little more traditional language, it being talking about substances and persons of, you know, the eternal Holy Trinity, it's, it's a lot to wrap our heads around, especially um, in a short time. But... Um, before we try and sort of pick apart some some key areas that that we you know feel are worth spending a little more time on, just a little bit of background. Um, the The Athanasian Creed is not a creed written by Athanasius, <laughs> um, and there are, I'm sure, plenty of reasons for that. That to, to you know argue for that that I don't necessarily know but the big ones are um it's a lot later than Athanasius in terms of when it appears and also it's it's a Latin creed not a an eastern creed and um or or, I mean and by eastern I mean Greek uh and Athanasius wrote in Greek um and there are also some some key theological markers that indicate it's a western creed not an eastern creed um the big one is uh, that it says the I lost my place. It says that the Holy Ghost is of the Father and of the Son, proceeding, um, which, like we mentioned last week, at the in the last Nicene Creed episode, the the of the Son part of that is very much a Western way of speaking of the Trinity. Um, so even though it's you know not really a creed written by Athanasius, um, the the title I think is fairly fitting um, because of the topics that he covers or that this creed covers, I mean. So in the beginning, the part that we read today, the first chunk, it's a little more than half, um, is about the Trinity, obviously, <laughs> um, which that was, that was Athanasius's big thing was he defended the Trinity as in the Orthodox understanding um, against the heretical understanding of the Arians. And then he also, in the second part, we'll, we'll see of the creed is about the incarnation, which is also something that Athanasius uh, contributed a great deal to. Um, We, at at the day that we're recording this, it's the first day of Advent. And um, maybe you've seen on my Twitter, I'm doing a little Advent on the incarnation reading plan. Um, It's probably Athanasius's most significant work and it's about the incarnation. So the Trinity and the Incarnation are certainly two topics, two two dogmas fitting to you know associate with Athanasius, but the Creed itself is not literally written by him. So we have this very long discussion of the Trinity, um, which I think can really be summed up in the the beginning and the end of this section, where it talks about we worship one God in Trinity, 
and Trinity and Unity. Um, and then that repeats that repeats at the end of this section, Unity and Trinity and Trinity and Unity. Um, and then everything in between is sort of just expounding on what that means. Um, so we've got, you know, some important vocabulary like persons and substance. We've got, obviously, the identities of the three persons of the Trinity with the Father and the Son and the, the Spirit, or in this case, the, the Ghost, um, which is also just kind of more fun to say, even though it sounds a little less natural to me because I'm just not used to saying that. But um, I don't know, maybe I'll try and get myself to switch from spirit to ghost <laughs> just to sound more, you know, esoteric and ancient than I am, but right. probably not. Um, and there's some really big ideas, like I said earlier, that are expressed kind of over and over again in these different adjectives that are each person um, is being described. And the first chunk, you know, incomprehensible, uncreated, uh, almighty, those are terms being used to describe the substance of God. Uh, and we see those being equally applied to all three persons. And then things like begotten, proceeding, father, son, ghost, those are uh, terms and adjectives used to describe and identify the different persons, which are not equally distributed to all three persons, because then we wouldn't have different distinct persons. So um, it kind of is a very, as long as it is, this section, it's a pretty succinct, concise, and surprisingly clear way, at least when you have it written on paper in front of you, and you can kind of take your time <laughs> to encapsulate the trinity what the trinity what, what we as christians confess about the trinity right. um and yeah i've got some more thoughts that that come to mind but but i don't want to keep rambling um what what stuck out to you i'm curious yeah. if that there's one thing in particular that i feel like would have stuck out to you based just just based on some prior conversations but i'm, I'm wondering if it if it did or not so i <laughs> yeah, want to i want to be curious to hear what that is i i just i want to say on the forefront like i think we kind of take for granted um theologically where we are given we're two thousand years removed from the cross whereas christians in the early centuries were i don't want to say like figuring it out on their own um but that's that's kind of the situation that they found themselves like as far as heresies that were surrounding them, as far as um, beliefs and practices, um, there's good reason that creeds were drafted. There's a good reason that we have an Apostles' Creed, a Nicene Creed, um, you know, an Athanasian Creed, even if you didn't write it. Um, and so the importance of what was being written, like these people weren't just gathering just to like conjecture about theology, um, but they were wanting to hammer out Orthodox Catholic belief and that's very much apparent, like, by the way that this starts. I mean, he says, whoever will be saved um, before anything else, like, you must hold to the Catholic faith. And basically, this is what the Catholic faith is. So if you don't hold to this, you're not a part of the Catholic faith. And that's a pretty strong, I don't know if you want to use the word anathema, but like, uh, it's, a, it's a pretty strong statement of, of, of belief, of of practice even. And so, you know, when, we, when you consider the Arians of history, when you consider, um, you know, some of the other major theological heresies, the, the things that are outlined in this creed are really important. And again, we might take for granted um, 
you know, the Father, Son, and Spirit all being co-eternal and being uncreated and incomprehensible. Uh, but we ought not to because it's, it's, it's not only foundational to who we are as Christians, but it, it's the substance of our faith. Yeah. And, and, and I think that will continue in, in next week's second chunk uh, where, where the Creed enumerates uh, what the, the Catholic religion teaches about uh, the incarnation. And, and I think you're, you're right. I mean, this is really encapsulating a lot of, you know, maybe not every piece of, but a lot of the, the um, issues and conflicts that were going on in the early church that were ultimately um, settled through a lot of uh, devoted hard work hashing out um, what we are supposed to think about the Trinity. And this is sort of a, you know, at, it, you know, in the aftermath of that, we're able to look back and say, boom, we're going to write this down so that this is what the Catholic religion teaches us. This is what the Christian faith proclaims about the Trinity, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. And I also, what I wanted to highlight that, it, it, I guess, you know, this, this would have been maybe more relevant if we had done this like a few months ago i can't remember exactly when but um some some people might have heard of the 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 doctrinal position of eternal subordination of the sun um which is an idea that within the relations of the trinity the the son the second person is eternally subordinate to the father um in terms of not in terms of his godness not in terms of his godhead his substance but in terms of his relationship to the father in in that father and son don't have an a, a co-equal relationship but they have a hierarchical relationship within the life of the trinity um there's a lot on that it would probably warrant uh a whole episode where you know with smart theologians brought on to explain it but what stuck out to me upon this reading through of the creed is um, where that is just completely taken off the table. <laughs> um, yeah. Pretty, you know, it's a creed, so we're not talking about like an, you know, a whole expanded lesson on why that's taken off the table. But, you know, as far as the Athanasian Creed is concerned, it's not really an option because um, towards the end of the this first section, um, it says, and in this Trinity, none is a four which I love that word, a four. <laughs> um, none is a four or after other. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal. Um, and it, it feels to me like this is a very thorough way of casting out any sort of hierarchical understanding of the Trinity itself. Um, clearly, we, you know, we're not entertaining the notion that, you know, the son is less God than the father or the spirit is less God than the father or anything like that. Um, but not only that, we're also pretty forcefully being instructed that they're exactly equal with each other. They're co-equal with, which, you know, Maybe it reads differently in Latin, but in English, that almost sounds redundant to me. At least the way we use the word equal today, like if two people or three people are equal, that kind of 
like the co almost is 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 kind of part of that you know what i mean like it almost sounds like to me, maybe i'm reading into this but to me like co-equal almost sounds like equal equal you, you, like equally equal you know right. <laughs> um it's not yeah. just that they're equal it's that they're co-equal with each other they're all equally equal which um maybe that's like the message version of the athanasian creed is they're either equally equal but um they're they're co-eternal they're co-equal none is greater or less and this is referring to the whole three persons um so like yeah like i said it just feels like a very forceful sort of like uh, assertion of the absolute equality within the trinity which is precisely because they're all god (laughs) as we just spent you know a number of lines before this part establishing they're all god (laughs) um and so i I feel like that's pretty I don't know. That part really stuck out to me as just something that's not 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 necessarily super relevant, but I guess it might be depending on where you come from in terms of your church background or the kinds of books you read or or that you know. Um, I don't well, encounter that a lot in real life, but I see it online a bunch. So. Exactly, and I think online right now there's there's some people who who do hold to this eternal subordination of the sun. Which to use a word like subordination, in at least in my mind, would rule out at least in some measure. There not being a co-equal union in, within the Trinity. If there's a subordination, that sounds like somebody who's beneath or under. You know, even if it just means in their inner Trinitarian relationship or something, how they act out Father, Son, and Spirit. But um, you know, to to name drop maybe Owen Strand is someone who at least comes under fire recently on, on, on social media for this. And, um, you know, again, maybe if we reread those first lines of, of this creed, like this is what it means to be Catholic and not, you know, not part of the Catholic church necessarily, but we're talking about the universal ecumenical, um, one holy apostolic church. This is, this is what it means to just to use modern parlance. This is what it means to be a Christian that you hold to these things. Um, and so it's it's important to note, especially when there are people who would seemingly be teaching something that is contrary. Um, and so, yeah, maybe maybe this does warrant an entire episode where we talk about eternal subordinationism or, um, you know, it's it's inverse. But yeah, I at least find that really fascinating. That's pretty it's it's spelled out pretty clearly here. So you either have to ignore this or not hold to this creed, um, seemingly, if you want to be somebody who would believe in eternal subordination. Yeah. And, you know, disclaimer, clarification, whatever. We're not trying to point to any individual and declare that we're certain they are not Christians or that we're going to invalidate their (laughs) faith because of a doctrine they hold. But but I think what we're more trying to do is to point out the lines that have been drawn that indicate how important it is to get the Trinity right. Right. That indicate how central— the Trinity is to our faith. We don't we don't get to dink around with the Trinity and still, you know, maintain the Christian faith as it's been passed down through the generations. Um, the Trinity is is the core of our faith, and that's why it takes up so much space here. Um, and I'm not trying to accuse anyone of heresy. I'm not trying to push somebody out of the church by declaring that, you know, because they say this or that about the Trinity, I'm able to see into their heart. That That's not at all what we're doing. 
Um, the lines we're drawing are not lines of excluding individuals, but excluding certain ideas that pose real spiritual danger and thus need to be understood and discussed and hashed out, um, which is exactly the process that led to creeds like this. And hopefully that's sort of uh, something we're, we're, we're able to shine a bit of a light on um, as we go through and explore these different creeds and confessions um, to highlight what is important, what is um, the historic faith that has been uh, passed down and handed to us. Um, but yeah, I think uh, if you if you have any other thoughts that we, that we haven't covered so far, um, no, I think I've got. I mean, a lot of it would be maybe rehashing stuff we've talked about in previous episodes. So if there's something mm-hmm. here that you're unsure of or want more info on, you know, check out our Nicene Creed episodes. Check out our Apostles Creed episodes. Um, listen to our entire catalog because you know there's yeah there's you're good not doing stuff anything there. else right we're all stuck at home anyways right so <laughs> sweet yeah I just want to say too when I say names I don't mean to just like condemn or call them heretics or anything so I, I appreciate Lucas clarifying that like that was not my intention but just to more or less to show like where this finds itself in real life we're not just talking abstractly but that this is something that is alive and prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there then. Yeah. So without any further ado, uh, we want to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. Uh, If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or you can email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com for uh, feedback, questions, episode ideas. Uh, Maybe you want to push back a little bit about what I said. Uh, Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, However you want to communicate, we'd love to hear from you. Peace.